morning, church. All right, let's uh, read Mark 2 together, uh, verses 1 to 12. And when, he returned, ugh, and when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him, and when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there, questioning in their hearts, Why does this man speak like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven? Or to say, Rise up and take your bed and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, Rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, We never saw anything like this. Well, thank you, Rachel, for sharing our reading again this week. Well, folks, I'm afraid it's me this week bringing the sermon. I think we've had a great run of Shelby sharing on the book of Jonah. And as we start a new sermon series in Mark uh, we're going to be hearing from various people. It's not just me, this sermon series. But um, yeah, it's just great to be able to start out our sermon series with you this morning. You might be thinking, you know, actually, I've heard this passage a bunch of times. I think probably all of Children's Connect can say, well, we know this story. And perhaps parents, you're sitting there with your kids, you want to just look over and, you know, do they know this one? I suspect probably they do. This has always been a really popular Bible story. But actually, I think this is a popular Bible story for more reasons than are immediately apparent. And for some, they really go deep into this passage. And for others, they seem to to not really have taken it all in. Because the story is such a great story, it's such a well-known story. There's just a couple of things that really simply this morning I want to draw to your attention. Now first of all, Jesus seems to be based out of Capernaum. And he seems to be ministering there at the moment. And, uh, you know, he's teaching. And the house where he's teaching, whether this is his house or a friend's house, this seems to be where he's staying at the moment. And it is absolutely jam-packed full. Now, I don't think there's any optimum size for a church. I don't think there's some magic number. In fact, the word of God talks about where two or three are gathered in Jesus' name. He's there in their midst. Like when we spend time seeking God, he he comes and he meets with us. In fact, the word of God even talks about when we seek him with our whole hearts, he'll be found by us. So it seems to be that we can seek him by ourselves. And then there are Bible passages that talk about don't give up the good pattern of meeting together. And we're encouraged to not stop being church with one another. 
well, this past year has been a really difficult time and perhaps this feels like a strange moment to be commenting on the fact that the house was full. No, Jesus wasn't socially distancing. Thankfully, there wasn't any need to be. But more than that, I think it's really interesting that the house is full. First of all, I think when Jesus comes and he explains God's heart to the people, when Jesus teaches, my first thought is, well, of course the house is full. It makes complete sense that the house would be full. You know, if the king of heaven and earth, if God himself comes to earth, you would think, well, wherever he's teaching might be full. Perhaps you're trying to imagine it's been so long since you were last in church. You're trying to think, well, what does full look like? And for me, I always think of an Easter Sunday and then add about 20% more. There are some people who think that there's an optimum size for a church, that you always want to be between 60 and 80% full. And actually, I think it doesn't make any difference how many people are in church, so long as we're preaching Jesus So long as we're spending time thinking about who he is, his purposes, his work, his ministry, his love for us. And people are hearing that call to discipleship. They're hearing the call of mission. They're hearing the call of Christ. Then we're doing the most important thing. We're coming together to worship God. The other thing that I love about this Bible story, and it's such a great Bible story, isn't it? I mean, let me just recap the story Rachel just read for us. Jesus is teaching. They're having a great time. The house is absolutely ram-packed full. There's not any space left at all. No one can even get near. And they're just absolutely everywhere. I mean, are they sat on the floor? Are they stood in huddles? I mean, how many people are crammed into this house? Loads. I like to try and imagine sometimes how many people are crammed into this house and I just can't even imagine it. And so as they're all crammed into this house, they're listening to this teaching. It's obviously pretty amazing teaching because everybody's turned out for it. And then there are these guys and they think, okay, well, we need to take our friend who's paralyzed and we need to take him to Jesus because Jesus is going to know what to do. And if we take him to Jesus, he'll be able to make him better or he'll be able to do something. He'll know what we need to do to help sort out his his problem here. And so that's what's going on in the background. And that's the background to the story. But actually, the background suddenly jumps to the fore and becomes the foreground because they're literally ripping the roof off to get their mate in. You see, it says they made an opening, and I I don't want any of us to miss this. There isn't some sort of Velux window scenario going on here. They're literally busting into the, the main meeting space through the roof. I mean, how annoyed would you be if somebody turns up one day and starts creating a skylight for you, and then before you know it, they're just randomly lowering their friend in on a stretcher? You might have a thing to say. In fact... It doesn't surprise me at all that what happens next, what happens next is that nobody makes a note of what Jesus was teaching. I feel like that's a pretty big glaring omission. Jesus is teaching. Literally stacks of people have turned up to see Jesus preach. He's clearly pretty good at it. 
And he does have an advantage over the likes of Shelby and I have taught the last couple of weeks in that he's literally the son of God. We might get to be sons of God through being adopted into his family and that's what the message of grace and salvation are all about. It's about being adopted, made co-heirs in the kingdom of God by the grace of Christ that when Christ comes into the world he dies on a cross and by dying on a cross at Easter time He creates a way for you and me to come into right relationship with God by taking away all the things that we've done wrong. That's why Jesus dies on the cross, so that he can take all of the things we've done wrong and take that punishment for sin on himself. And then he's raised to life. And with him, we are raised to life in Christ and have the opportunity to be friends with God. So Jesus is teaching and I wonder what exactly the teaching was. I feel like sometimes we try and put together sermon series in church. We spend huge amounts of time trying to put this stuff together, working out how to do church in the best way. In fact, church online in many ways has been harder rather than easier. Personally, I find it way harder not having you all in the room smiling back at me, knowing whether or not you're paying attention, knowing whether any of these points are kind of registering with you. Whether the bits I'm like, hey, this is amazing, and I'm trying to explain why I think it's amazing. I want to know, are you getting this? Like, some guys just turned up and ripped a hole in somebody's house. I mean, this is kind of a crazy story. And because we've heard it so many times, I think we can lose sight of how amazing this story is. But the thing that continues to astound me is that nobody thought to write down anything what Jesus was saying. Nobody's taking sermon notes, it seems like. And you see, all of this is happening. All of this is going on. They're bringing their paralyzed friend to meet Jesus. He's being carried in by four of them. You know, they're lowering him through the roof. There's got to have been a sketchy moment where they were trying to get him up onto the roof. I mean, people passing in the street. No one thought to say, hey, guys, what are you doing? Like, this is, is this completely normal? Do people just go crazy around Jesus? Or, or is this as strange to them as it feels to me? And so they lower this bloke into the middle of the room, right in front of Jesus, how I've always imagined it. Like there is Jesus preaching and just randomly like they've pulled off a bunch of tiles and there's a bit of commotion and everybody's doing that churchy thing where they're really polite and they're trying to pay attention and they're like, "Mm, mm, yeah, good point, Jesus, God, mm, yeah. And in the meantime, there's like this scratching, scrabbling sound coming from above. And then slowly they start lowering this guy down. And then, and I guess this kind of feels like the high point in this whole message for me. The bit that kind of leaves, you know, when I first heard this story, it was the bit that made the least sense to me. In fact, I've heard people argue about this point in the story. You see, the thing that happens next, once they've lowered this guy into the middle of the room, when Jesus has a moment to talk to him, when he's finally at, what, what do you reckon, Shoulder level, eye level, waist level, like presumably there was somebody in this space before them. How have they made room? I don't even know. Have some people been squished out of the room? And he says to him, your sins are forgiven. Son, your sins are forgiven. And you see what happens next is the people that are taking notes, because we all know that the best Christians in church are the ones taking notes, right? 
That might not be a theological statement. That might not be good theology. But if ever there was going to be a fast-track pass for getting into heaven, I think it would probably contain sermon notes. If you've been to Thorpe Park, you know all about a fast-track pass. I'm being silly. This is way off topic. I need to come back to what I'm saying. But you see the people taking notes, the scribes. There are scribes there. And the scribes seem to be taking some sort of notes, and none of those notes seem to make it into the Bible, and I don't really get that. That kind of seems like it would be cool to hear what Jesus was saying to me. But they're sitting there, and they, they seem to be quite learned people. They seem to be smart, and they're thinking to themselves, actually, we know what, we know what the law says. Only God can forgive sins. Only God can forgive sins. And then you've got another great churchy moment where people get a bit twitchy, where they're like, did you hear what he just said? (laughs) You know, the the nudging starts, the the awkward side glances between the, the church leaders as they're like, where is this going? And so, realizing what they're thinking, Jesus addresses this issue. And the way he addresses the issue is he he heals the paralyzed guy of the other issue in his life. And the thing that I find so amazing is that the thing that Jesus seems to see first, the issue that seems to be most present, most concerning to Jesus... It isn't the fact that this guy has just been lowered into the middle of the room while he's halfway through a sermon, hugely disruptive, possibly even annoying. Like, he was mid-sentence and just, hi, how are you doing? (laughs) The thing he sees, the thing he tackles, is the sin in this guy's life by forgiving it. And some people want to make a whole big thing about the theology of what's going on there with sin being called out before healing. And I just want to say, actually, I think the biggest deal in this passage, the thing that is most concerning in this message this morning, is that we need to keep coming to Jesus. We have these opportunities all through our lives, all through our days, where we have these moments, these come to Jesus moments, and we don't always recognise them. Let me be really blunt. Sometimes we are so bad at recognising a come to Jesus moment, we don't recognise it when we're in the midst of it. And if you've not heard this phrase before, if you're thinking, well, what is a come to Jesus moment? Well, it's those regular opportunities just to turn your attention to Jesus. Those moments in your day, those moments in your life, perhaps this is the first one you've ever had. Perhaps you've never had a come to Jesus moment before where you've suddenly realised I could just turn to Jesus and give him my full attention in this moment. I could recognise him as my Lord and Saviour. I could recognise him as the person leading me. Let me just say for some of you, this right now, you might be about to miss it. This is a come to Jesus moment. An opportunity to recognise Jesus as your Lord and Saviour. A moment to recognise that God does amazing things. 
There are incredible miracle stories in the Bible, things that continue to happen today where God is just proclaimed, where God moves in power, and we don't always understand them. We can't work out a formula for them. We can't tell people, well, if you do this, this, and this, then Jesus is going to do that, that, and that. And sometimes people want to do that with this passage. They want to say, oh, well, you know, you just need to pray this, do that, do the other, and then God will be able to heal this, that, or the other. But I think the most amazing thing in this passage, in our time together this morning, is that you have the opportunity to be healed from all of those things that are wrong in your life. You've got the opportunity to be healed of the biggest issue in your life, the issue of sin. And if you're wondering, well, what is sin? Well, sin is a churchy word for all of those things that we do wrong. It's every moment where we aren't living with God as our number one priority. You know, that could be as simple as you've had some chocolate and you gave up chocolate for Lent. It could be as complicated as a serious issue in your life that you're going to need some prayer and some help with. And everything in between. Any time where we're struggling to let the Lordship of Christ be the most important thing in our hearts. And you see, the thing is, If we can get our heads around this simple fact, I think it's going to make a world of difference. In fact, if you've tuned out a little bit so far this morning and you're thinking, hey, I wonder when a good moment might be just to start really paying attention again and catch one thing. Well, maybe it's this. You see, Mark is doing an amazing thing in writing this book the way he does. It's not that he's made some glaring omission that he's forgotten to write down what Jesus was saying. It's not that he got so excited that he spilled his tea all over his sermon notes for the first half of the meeting. And he's like, okay, well, at least I can write about the cool thing that happened with the guy that came through the roof. You see what he's doing and he does this through his book. And we're going to be spending some time in Mark over the next couple of weeks. He's pointing to Jesus as the Messiah. Mark is pointing to Jesus as the Messiah. And you see, the Jewish people have been waiting for a Messiah. A person who was going to be sent to them. With a message of salvation, a message of rescue. And they'd been imagining what this person would look like. They had great ideas about how he might be this really cool kind of super general on a big horse with a massive sword. And, you know, he's going to come and they're being occupied by the Roman Empire. And they're imagining this great kind of military leader that's going to come in and just like bust some heads. And it's just going to completely flip the whole empire, the Roman Empire on its head as the kingdom of God is established. And what happens is Jesus is that Messiah. Jesus comes into the world and he flips that empire on its head. 
he busts some heads in our thinking, but he doesn't go around hurting people. Instead, what he does is he establishes his kingdom with his death rather than anyone else's. By him dying for us is how he creates this new world order. And you see, this is remarkable because, you know, not often are we willing to die for somebody. The Bible talks about sometimes we would die for a good person, but, you know, who is good apart from God is something else that the word of God says. And so Jesus, the Son of God, comes into the world to die for you and for me. And in offering himself for us, he's welcoming us into his family. He's dealing with the biggest issue facing us in that moment. Just as he did for this paralyzed guy when he forgives his sins before he heals him of his affliction. He comes in a moment. And if you'll let him, if you'll say, I believe in my heart and I confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord. Then that's all it takes to be saved. And that starts you on an amazing journey. An amazing journey. And actually we'd love to walk that journey with you. So if that's you, whether you've been walking that journey a long time and you're tuning in this morning. Whether you've been lost a while, perhaps you, you've always thought, yeah I believe in Jesus. But you're just recognising a come to Jesus moment here this morning. And you just want to recommit yourself, rededicate yourself. Well, don't delay. Do that now. Perhaps you've never done this before and you just want to recommit yourself. Or commit yourself for the first time more accurately. Perhaps you've always wondered about what it would mean to be a follower of Jesus. Well, it starts in this moment. You start by praying a prayer and asking Jesus to be the Lord of your life. Confessing that you've done things wrong. And choosing to put him first. And actually that... That decision there, choosing to put him first, is one that you're going to have to keep making again and again and again. But every time you do it, every time you do it, every time you put Jesus first, it's going to change your heart a little bit. You're going to draw a little bit closer to God. And you might not fully appreciate exactly what that means, what that looks like, or how significant that is. But if you're questioning, well, I think I want to do that, I think that's where I am, then this is the moment to do it. And if you do want to do that, we'd love to book a call with you, book a follow-up with you. Send us a message. We'd love to just talk about what it meant to you. What did you want to do in that? Perhaps you don't know how to pray and you want to pray with somebody. We'd love to pray with you. Or perhaps you've been a Christian for a really long time and you've heard this story so many times but you've never really recognised that the most important part of this passage isn't rise, take up your bed and walk. But son, your sins are forgiven. Whatever the case may be, I think we have to ask ourselves, are we prioritising the big question here? 
the biggest issue in this passage, the biggest question to us, is are we taking the opportunity to come to Jesus this morning? You see, for every one of us, we don't have the same issue of needing to be lowered through the roof into a room to know that we've given our lives to Christ. Because of the power of God, because of the power of the cross, because of the Holy Spirit, because of Jesus, we've got the opportunity to give give our lives to Jesus right now. To find intimacy with God right now. And if we've been a Christian a long time and we're thinking, yeah, you know what, I just really need some quality Jesus time. Well, Jesus is searching after your heart. And if you would seek him with your whole heart, he promises that you're going to find him. You see, this story finishes up with the scribe saying, but only God, God alone, can forgive sins. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And Jesus, perceiving this, recognising what was going on in their hearts, calls them out and says, why are you questioning these things? Why are your hearts burdened by this question? What's easier to say? Your sons... Your sins are forgiven, or to rise, take up your bed, and walk. You see, in forgiving sins, in healing people, in this whole passage, and actually in the coming weeks, as we look at the the message of the book of Mark, we see time and again, Amazing illustrations of Jesus being exactly who he says he is. Who we know he is. Seeing Jesus as the son of God. And the people were amazed and they glorified God saying we never saw anything like this. The passage ends. And so I just want to encourage you. Let me ask that question. I just asked it a moment ago. But I want this to be our takeaway question. If you question one thing, let it be this. Are we prioritising the big issue, the biggest issue? Are we seeking to help people know Jesus? Are we pointing them towards him? Are we recognising the come to Jesus moment for ourselves and for others that we have? And you know, in this modern world we live in, it can be so easy to misunderstand what a come to Jesus moment might really be. We often talk in church about being a bringer, bringing someone with you so that they can meet Jesus. And you don't have to carry a stretcher and lower them through the roof. You invite them to sit next to you in church. And at the moment during the pandemic, you can invite somebody to sit next to you in church all the way from their house while you sit in yours by just liking and sharing these videos. It's never been easier to invite people to come to church with you. But if our faith really shapes our reality, if, if we're truly wanting to see God move, if we're open to the miracles of God being present in our lives, then we need to choose the perspective of faith. This is my last point and I'm, I'm wrapping up here. If you want to see God move in your life and in the lives of those that you care about, then we have to choose the perspective of faith. You see, for the guy being lowered on the stretcher, I don't know if he was 
super keen on this if he'd begged his friends please take me i want to be healed please take me to jesus or if his friends had grabbed him and said right we're going to take you to see jesus we've decided we're going to do it we'll find a way whatever the case may be there is a very clear a very clear act of faith in the going to jesus in the trusting in jesus in the in the person of jesus and so for each one of us i think we need to choose personal faith corporate faith faith in god and rather than being consumed by trying to seek out the miracles of god let's be consumed by seeking out the person of god let's let faith shape our reality Let's look at life through the lens of faith. Let's look at our lives through the cross and through Jesus. And this Lent time, let's prioritise knowing who God is, recognising that come to Jesus moment and coming to him with all that we have and all that we are. I'm going to throw it over to Shelby, who's going to close us out with a word of prayer and uh, probably bring us a few notices as well. So let me throw it over to Shelby. Thank you, Joel. Um, Just join me in prayer as I close this out. God, as we just come to you today, we just come seeking you. I pray that each one of us that is watching this video, whether they're watching it right now or later, that this week they will be like those friends or like the paralytic paralytic man, um, that they are coming to seek Jesus, that we would be a people that would continually seek Jesus, and that in whatever we do, no matter how small or simple it may be to how big and complicated it is that we will seek Jesus first. We thank you that you make yourself available. That it's not something like, it's not like Jesus is something that's hard to find or that uh, you or your son try to hide from us, but you stand there and you are ready for us to come to you. As the verse says, Jesus stands at the door and knocks. All we have to do is open it. God, thank you for that. I pray that you will bless our time in Mark throughout the coming weeks. That this will be a blessing to not just us who are teaching it, but for those who are receiving it. In your name, amen.